Welcome beyond our focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver About Wizard and Glass, the fourth novel in the Stephen King saga, The Dark Tower. We are on part three, chapter four. No, five. Four. Rolling the oh, Cuthbert. I had my four. I'm sorry, I had my bookmark at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try to correct me. Trying to guess the read uh, rainbow. The wizard's guess glass. the reading rainbow. The wizard's glass. The wizard's the, rainbow. I'm guessing the reading it's rainbow. It's book. The reading rainbow. I really liked that show. That was. I don't remember seeing show. a lot of episodes, but I really liked. I, what remember I remember watching it in school and then watching it at home as well. Reading rainbow. Santa book. Remember the little animation. I think it's cool. We are, I mean, we are reading a book, so it is very appropriate. Yeah, this is true. A lot so, more adult than what they were promoting on The Reading Rainbow. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> especially up, this book. Next up on The Reading Rainbow, let's read Wizards and Glass well, by Stephen King. Let's read where Susanna gets raped by a demon. <laughs> Perfect for you youngsters. That doesn't happen right now. It's already happened. It already We read it. It happened. She's a witch. She's not a demon. No, Susanna. Oh, Susanna. Su Susanna. You said wizards in glass, not the dark tower. I'm just They're saying only you, reading this You much. said wizards in glass. I went to, way back. Susan, no, Susanna. No. What did you Susan do? just got molested by a witch. Yes. King, why did you name... Please, King, if you're watching this. Because <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. Tell me why you named one Susan and one Susanna. Like, that wasn't going to mess with anybody's head. It gets a little confusing sometimes. Especially in the first, like, the gunslinger. Because you hear Susan, like, was, didn't we realize in one, like, the original version they used Susan and in a different version they used someone completely different? Or, like, it they just said she... That was one of the weird things between Maybe. the two versions. Maybe the two versions. I don't remember exactly. But then, that was a year ago. I don't yeah. remember. Okay. Then we hop into the second book, and you literally have hallucinating Roland mumbling about Susan, and then we have Susanna, and you're like, stop. Stop. I can't do this anymore. And we still can't. It's hard. It's difficult. Things are hard. Okay. Anyway, Roland and Cuthbert. This is a really good, good chapter, y'all. Hope you're following along with us. A lot happens. Yes. I mean, as I put it earlier oh. to you, this is quite literally, I think I said it before, but this is literally the beginning of the end. Yes. Everything hits the fan and just flies back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely the beginning of the end. A lot happens here. We're playing so, castles. Why isn't this one called playing castles? Cause I'm with you, because a lot more happens in this one. But no, this one's called Roland and Cuthbert. Okay. Which they're definitely involved in this, for sure. But... <clears throat> well, we start off with uh, Roland, Cuthbert, and Elaine come out into the porch of the Barcade bunkhouse. Almost two hours after Jonas had left Coral's room at the Traveler's Rest. By then, the sun was well up over the horizon. They weren't late risers by nature. But as Cuthbert put it, we have certain in-world image, a certain in-world image to maintain. Not laziness, but lounginess. <laughs> I love that. I want to use that from now on. It's not laziness. It's lounginess. And it's an all, it's all an image. It's an image, exactly. I'm not actually lazy. 
because I slept till noon. It's just I have a, I have a certain image to keep up. Uh, so and, yeah, I guess all this happened before. Uh, but yes, Roland, of course, cracks his back or something. Yeah, his back. Elaine doesn't like it, and he. You find out he's been having odd premonitions and dreams, so he hasn't been sleeping well. You think he could have warned everyone? Yeah, Elaine, yeah. come on. Says come because on. of the touch, perhaps with him it had always been strong. That's why he does it, Cuthbert said, then clapped Elaine on the shoulder. Cheer up, old boy. You're too handsome to be downhearted. And then, um, Roland, for some reason, stops suddenly, and he just says, oh. Oh, Cuthbert echoed, oh, what great leader. Oh, joy, I shall see the perfumed lady anon. Or, oh, rats, I must work with my smelly male companions all the live long day. Yeah, that was a particular area. Yeah. Because that's real important. Like, real important. Yeah. Like, Roland, I want to backhand you important. Yes. Like, right now. There was always an edge to Cuthbert's teasing these days. The old sense of fun had been replaced by something that was mean and unpleasant. Elaine kept expecting Roland to flash up at one of Cuthbert's jibes, like steel that has been struck by sharp flint and knock Bert sprawling. In a way, Elaine almost wished for it. It might clear the air, but not the air of this morning. Just oh, Roland said mildly and walked on. Cry your pardon, for I know you'll not want to hear it, but I'd speak a further a word about the pigeons, Cuthbert said as they sat on their mounts. I still believe that a message... I'll make you a promise, Roland said, smiling. Cuthbert looked at him with some mistrust. I? If you still want to send by flight tomorrow morning, we'll do so. The one you choose shall be sent west to Gilead with a message of your devising banded to its leg. What do you say, Arthur Heath? Is that fair? Cuthbert looked at him for a moment with a suspicion that hurt Elaine's heart. Then he also smiled. Fair, he said. Thank you. And then Roland said something which struck Elaine as odd and made that... Oh, okay. I can't word today. Prescient? 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 Part of him quiver with disquiet. Don't thank me yet. Roland, at this... You're a real bastard. <laughs> you're a real bastard at this point. Well, I just want to... Sh <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to strangle him to death at the moment. Love Roland to death. But this book doesn't paint him very well. No, this this is the, we know what Roland's been through. We've started, like, we've even been able to understand harsh Roland. Yes. Like, the evil Roland and what he does to, like, Ed and Susanna and Jake. All for his dark tower. Yes. We but, can get that. But this is little boy Roland. This is frustrating teenager. <laughs> this is Roland just being blinded by love. Let me just go with that. Blinded Yay. by love. So yes, now we get to Shimi and Coral. Uh, poor Shimi. Coral. <laughs> Sorry. Different Coral. Oh, my bad. Uh, very different, <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't want to go up there, Scythorn, Shimi said. An unusual expression has creased his normally smooth face. A troubled and fearful frown. She's a scary lady. Scary as a berry, she is. Got a wart on her nose right there. He thumbed the tip of his own nose, which was small and smooth as well as molded and well molded. Coral, have Coral, who might have bitten his head off for such hesitation only yesterday, was unusually patient today. I 
I wonder why exactly. Uh, so true, she said, but she me. She asks for ye special, and she tips. Ye know she does, and well. Won't help if she turns me into a beetle, Shimi said. Morosely. Morosely, sure. Beetles can't spend coppers. Nevertheless, he let himself be led to where... I can only assume it's Capricoso? Sure. Where the mule is at. The inn's... Yeah, pack mule. Was tied. Barky had loaded two small tunes over the mule's back. One filled with sand just... Uh, there for balance. The other held fresh pressing of graph. Rhea had, Rhea had a taste for. Fair days coming, Coral said brightly. Why, it's not three weeks now. Aye, Shimi looked happier at this. He loved Fair Day passionately. The lights, the firecrackers, the dancing, the games, the laughter. When Fair Day came, everyone was happy and no one spoke mean. Lots of people like being mean to poor, poor Shimi. Shimi is amazing. Okay, he is great. He, he is he is great, and he is a lot more. Even even though they call him dim, he is loyal, and he has a good heart. Like and he follows it. It doesn't matter what people threaten him with. He follows it. Yeah, Shimi's so. Shimi Shimi's my man. So good old Shimi heading off to Ria's house. The, the wicked witch of yes, the West. Pretty much. So next, we move on hmm. to Jonas. They are in the West. She is a wicked witch. I'm just saying. I'm sure. just, even more so with what else this book entails a little further on. This is true. I'm it just saying. Wizards and glass. like we Even earlier on in the book, they mentioned just They're in Kansas. The, the palace. Or the the castle, or what the town, or whatever they saw. I don't, I don't think we've seen the castle yet. They haven't mentioned the castle yet. They saw something in the distance. I don't think they mentioned the castle yet. I don't know. So I was trying to avoid mentioning the castle because I don't think they had mentioned it. No, I'm pretty sure they had. I don't think they did. Anyway, in Kansas, there's a lot of wizard odd themes in this yes. this book, and this is just yet another one. Just saying. Yay. So yes, we reach. We are now with Jonas. And he has been hiding outside the barquet, just watching as the three get ready to leave. And so Roland and Elaine and Cuthbert have gone, so he can just hop to it. Three dots four miles away on a brown slope, off to do their duty, their daily duty. No sign they suspected anything. They were smarter than they had first given them credit for, but nowhere near as smart as they thought they were. Except for Roland! <laughs> Roland. Oh, Roland. So, yes, he proceeds to first take their clothes down and piss all over them. Because that's what you do. You just, you just take Now, we figured down. out why he wanted a dog with its tail. Yes, he wanted a paint bro- Well, for he Because he wanted to remove its tail. Which made no fucking sense. Why don't you just take the dead thing off the ground at that point? <laughs> you know, Jonas. Because he looked disgustedly at the tail that the kids left behind, yet then proceeds to go get his own. Give me fresh tail to do this job. I, I don't know. I, I guess so. So yes, he goes, he pees all over their clothes, and then heads up to... He, he gets a jar of paint and the dog's tail. He does a lot of things to a lot of areas in their, their things. Yes, he defaces a book, then shreds it, 
he rips up their family photos, their pictures of their mothers and their parents. He, of course, screams at the pigeons saying, I'm going to get to you next. Yeah, the pigeons were upset now. They were incapable of scolding like Jay's a rook. But they tried to flutter away from him when he opened their cage. Just... It did no good, of course. He caught them one by one and twisted their heads off. Jesus. Okay. okay. I mean, you couldn't... I mean, just... Okay. Ozzy Osbourne do the whole biting. Yeah. That much accomplished, Jonas popped one bird beneath the straw tick pillow of each boy. Because of course he did. Yes. Of course he did. Beneath one of their pillows, he found a small bonus. Paper strips in a storage pen, undoubtedly kept for the composition of messages. He broke the pen and flung it across the room. The strips he put in his own pocket. Paper always came in handy. With the pigeons seen to, he could hear better. He began walking slowly back and forth on the, on the board floor, head cocked, listening. Now we all know what he's looking for. Yes, we do. Everybody, like... The first people to suspe- like be suspicious of it, and he's like, "Don't worry about it. It's not there." And then now he's the one looking for it. Well, he said they might have uh, guns underneath the floorboard. I don't know. It's just Jonas. You didn't believe anybody, and now you're the one digging around for shit. <laughs> yeah, because these, they've proven that they are worth keeping an eye on. Unfortunately. So we've made it back to the drop where they're, of course, counting. And here we go. Oh, Roland. This is, I hate him even more in this instance. So when, much more. When Elaine came riding up to him at a gallop, Roland ignored the boy's strained white face and burning, frightened eyes. I make it 31 on my side, he said. All with the barony brand, crown and shield. You? We have to go back, Elaine said. Something's wrong. It's the touch. I've never felt it so clear. Your count? Roland asked again. There were times, such as now, when he found Elaine's ability to use the touch more annoying than helpful. You know what? I say it's pretty freaking helpful. 40 or 41, I forget. And what does it matter? They've moved what they don't want us to count. Roland, didn't you hear me? We have to go back. Something's wrong. Something's wrong at our place. Roland glanced toward Bert, riding peaceably some 500 yards away. Then he looked back at Elaine, his eyebrows raised in a silent question. Bert, he's numb to the touch and always has been. You know it. I'm not. You know I'm not. Roland, please. Whoever it is will see the pigeons. Maybe find our guns. The normal phlegmatic Elaine was nearly crying in his excitement and dismay. If you won't go back with me, give me leave to go back myself. Give me leave, Roland, for your father's sake. For your father's sake, I give you none, Roland said. My count is 31. Yours is 40. Yes, we'll say 40. 40 is a good number. Good as any I want. Now we'll change sides and count again. What's wrong with you? Elaine almost whispered. He was looking at Roland as if Roland had gone mad. Nothing. You knew. You knew when we left this morning. Oh, I might have seen something, Roland said. A reflection, perhaps, but do you trust me, Al? That's what matters, I think. Do you trust me, or do you think I lost my wits when I lost my heart? You know, I'm going with that. As he does. I'm going with that. I'm with Bert 100% on this. He jerked his head in Cuthbert's direction. Roland was looking at Elaine with a faint smile on his lips, but his eyes were ruthless and distant. It was Roland's over-the-horizon look. 
Elaine wondered if Susan Delgado had seen this expression yet, and if she had, what she made of it. I trust you. By now, Elaine was so confused, he didn't know for sure if that was a lie or truth. Good. Then switch sides with me. My count is thirty-one, mind. Thirty-one, Elaine agreed. He raised his hands, then dropped them back to his thighs with a slap so sharp, his normally stolid mount laid his ears back and jigged a bit under him. Thirty-one. I think we may go back early today, if that's any satisfaction to you, Roland said, and rode away. Elaine watched him. He'd always wondered what went on in Roland's head, but never more than now. Roland, for the love of God, so frustrating, so incredibly frustrating. He's just so smug. Oh my God! Because he acts like he knows what's going on. He acts like he's supposed to be in charge. He acts like the leader. But right now, you're being a pretentious little prick. Pretty much. Now we're back to Jonas. He's not done yet. Creek, creek. Here was what he'd been listening for, and just as Jonas was about to give up the hunt, he'd expected to find their hidey hole a little closer to the beds, but they were trig all right. So, of course, Jonas found the guns. Of course. He had to. Obviously, it was Jonas. Unless Roland, unless some part of the plan was for Roland to hide the guns somewhere different and him to find an empty space under the floor, we knew Jonas was going to find him. Yes, because... Out of the three of them, Jonas is the smart one. Yes. By a long shot. Uh, Reynolds or DePape wouldn't have found him. No. So yeah, he, he finds the gun. He looks at them. Two of the bundles contain single five-shot revolvers of a type then called, for no reason he knew, Carvers. The third contained two guns. Six shooters of higher quality than the Carvers, in fact. For one heart-stopping moment, Jonas thought he had found the big revolvers of a gunslinger. Uh, True blue steel barrel, sandalwood grips, bores like mine shafts. Such guns he could not have left, no matter what the cost to his plans. Seeing the plain grips uh, was thus something of a relief. Disappointment was never a thing you looked for, but it had a wonderful way of cleaning the mind, clearing the mind. He wrapped the guns back, wrapped them back up and put them up. Yes. So he didn't take them. But, huh, if Roland only had the guns he was supposed to have. Who knows? Do you really think they'll believe it was hooligans from town that did this? They might, just because he had underestimated them to start with didn't mean he should turn about face and begin overestimating them now. Well, they ain't stupid. No. So, of course, he wrote stupid slogans on the walls. Roland's kind of stupid right now, but they're not completely stupid. He wrote things that little teenagers and stupid people would write on the walls and stuff. And he he put the dog tail in the birdcage. Just check it. Just keep an eye on things. You never know when things might go all right. You never know. I'm just know. thinking that you're just seeing some paranormal activity no, going no. on up here. Just I'm checking. I'm worried about you. To make sure we're fine. You haven't eaten today. I'm concerned. If I pass out at any moment, it's y'all's fault. Just remember that. Do not blame. I blame the audience. The audience. I blame them. I don't. Someone's got to be blamed. He's a human being. He's supposedly supposed to take care of his. Ah, no. 
And you're married. I mean. That's her job then. She should make sure I ate. <laughs> I think I was going along the lines of you kind of need to stay alive to, you know, That's not what I was going support with. system. But you okay. gave me someone else to blame. Oh my goodness. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. So yes. It says, yet for a blink or two there at the end, he'd felt uneasy, almost as though he'd been scented by some sort of in-world telepathy, maybe, or mayhap. There is such, you know it, the touch, it's called. Aye, but that was the tool of gunslingers, artists, and lunatics. Not of the boys, be they lords or just lads. How wrong you are. Yeah. How incredibly wrong. Now, that would have, of course, mattered if they had came back in any sense at all. But, nom, 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 nom. So, yes, we are back at Rhea's hut. Oh, yes. Rhea's Poor wonderful, beautiful hut. Yes. Of course, it's completely barren. The door is kind of open, but no one's out and about. So, Shimei's like, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> I don't blame you. I would have, like, wheeled the... Just taken it off and just set it down in the road and walked out. I'm done with it. All right, I'm done. Okay, I'm can you done. Just roll the coins to me. We're good. Yes, we have a very, very, very long description of Rhea's hut. It's like, Sigh, Thorin, I'll never chop me up here again. He thought, not for all the pennies in the world. So she tells him to pretty much bring the graph to her because she's too old to lift it. Yes. It's too heavy for her. She looks awful, by the way, guys. Yeah, she just keeps keeps getting worse here. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. says, don't like the way I look, Dewey, she asked. Makes your heart cold, don't it? No, Shimi said, and then because that didn't sound right. I mean, yes, but gods, that sounded even worse. You're you're beautiful, Sai, he blurted. The last thing that she is. Oh. <laughs> and then, of course, she asks him to come in. Yeah, yeah. How about, how about no? <laughs> Hello, Shimi. And, of course, Shimi sees Earmont the snake. Yes. Don't move too fast, my boy. Twould be wise. Twouldn't. Be nice. Irmot's grumpy today. Set the barrel just inside the door here. It's too heavy for me. Uh, missed a few meals of late I have. I'm, mm-hmm. Shimi bent from the waist. Bow your best, uh, bow your best bow, Sai Thorin had said. And here he was doing just that. Grimacing, not daring to ease the pressure on his back by moving his feet because of the snake was still on them. When he straightened, Rhea was holding out an old and stained envelope. The flap had been sealed with a blob of red wax. Shimi dreaded to think what might have been rendered down to make wax such as this. Take this and give it to Cordelia Delgado. Do you know her? I, uh, Shimi managed. Susan... Size auntie? That's right. Shimi reached tentatively for the envelope, but she held it back a moment. Can't read, can ye, boy? Nay, words and letters go right out my head. Good, mind you show this to no one who can, or some night you'll find Irmont waiting under your pillow. 
I see far, Shimi. Ye'd mark me, I see far. Says, Lose it and I'll know, Rhea whispered. Show my business to another and I'll know. Remember, son of Stanley, I see far. Very far. <laughs> and then, of course, she asks him to come in. And he's like, nope, I can't. That pesky thing fell off last week, that day. <laughs> what an interesting response. <laughs> oh, no, it fell off last week. Yes. Did it really? Is that how that worked? And, of course, it made her laugh. And she's just like, get out of here. I really like called you up here. Yeah, I want to graph. But I really want you up here to take this envelope to do my bidding. Oh, yeah. I have an evil plan working, and I need you to give me my messenger. Mm-hmm. And we're back yeah. to Roland. Mm. <laughs> Roland surprised Cuthbert by suggesting at 2 o'clock that they go back to the barquet. When Bert asked why, Roland only shrugged and would say nothing more. Bert looked at Elaine and saw a queer, musing expression on the boy's face. As they drew closer to the bunkhouse, a sense of foreboding filled Cuthbert. They topped a rise and looked down at the barquet. The bunkhouse door stood open. Roland, Elaine cried. He was pointing to the cottonwood grove uh, where the ranch... The ranch's spring was. Their clothes neatly hung to dry when they had left. Were now scattered. What an interesting phrase. Scattered hell to breakfast. What a weird, strange phrase. I've heard of hell in a handbasket, but not hell to breakfast. To breakfast. Interesting. Scattered to breakfast. Why not? Cuthers. Cuthbert dismounted and ran to them, picked up his shirt, sniffed it, flung it away, pissed on. He cried indignantly. Come on, Roland said. Let's look at the damage. Roland. Roland. Mm-hmm. Roland, Roland, Roland. <laughs> there was a lot of damage to look at, as you expected, Cuthbert thought, gazing at Roland. Then he turned to Elaine, who appeared gloomy but not really surprised. As you both expected. Roland bent toward one of the dead pigeons and plucked at something so fine Cuthbert at first couldn't see what it was. Then he straightened up and held it out to his friends. A single hair. Very long. Very white. Hmm. Don't know too many people who could have done that. First off, I love all the CSI stuff that's going on. Because originally when Cuthbert and Elaine were hanging out with Roland, they found one of Susan's hairs on him. They can spot hair quite well, okay? Hair stands out like sore thumb, okay? If you knew that old Corby was here, why didn't we come back and end his breath? Cuthbert heard himself ask. Because the time was wrong, Roland said mildly. He would have done it and had been one of us in his place destroying his things. We're not like him, Roland said mildly. But you should have been. I'm going to find him and blow his teeth out the back of his head. Not at all, Roland said mildly. If Bert had to listen to one more mild word from Roland's mouth, he would run mad. All thoughts of fellowship and cotet left his mind, which sank back into his body and was at once obliterated by simple red fury. Jonas had been there. Jonas had pissed on their clothes, called Elaine's mother a bad name, <laughs> tore up their most treasured pictures, painted childish obscenities on their walls, Killed their pigeons, Roland had known. Done nothing. Intended to continue doing nothing. 
except screw his gilly girl. He would do plenty of that, I, because now that was all he cared about. But she won't like the look of your face the next time you climb into the saddle, Cuthbert thought. I'll see to that. He drew back his fist. Elaine caught his wrist. Roland turned away and began picking up scattered blankets as if Cuthbert's furious face and cocked fists were simply of no account to him. <laughs> Cuthbert balled up the other fist, meaning to make Elaine let go of him, one way or the other. But the sight of his friend's round and honest face, so guileless and dismayed, quieted his rage a little. His argument wasn't with Elaine. Cuthbert was sure the other boy had known something bad was happening here, but he was also sure that Roland had insisted Elaine do nothing until Jonas was gone. Come with me, Elaine muttered. Outside, for your father's sake, come. You have to cool off. This is no time to be fighting amongst ourselves. It's no time for our leader's brains to drain down into his prick either, Cuthbert said making no effort to lower his voice. But the second time Elaine tugged, Bert followed. Bert allowed himself to be led toward the door. I'll stay my rage at him this one last time, he thought. But I think, I know, that this is all I can manage. I'll have Elaine tell him so. The idea of using Elaine as a go-between to his best friend, of knowing that things had come to such a pass, filled Cuthbert with an angry, despairing rage, and at the door to the porch, he turned back to Roland. She has made you a coward, he said in a high speech. Beside him, Elaine drew in his breath sharply. <laughs> Roland stopped as suddenly turned to stone, his back to them, his arms full of blankets. In that moment, Cuthbert was sure Roland would turn and rush toward him. They would fight, likely until one of them was dead or blind or unconscious. Likely, the one would be him, but no longer cared. But Roland never turned. Instead, in the same speech, he said, He came to steal our guile and our caution. With you, he has succeeded. No, Cuthbert said, lap lapsing back into the low speech. I know that part of you really believes that, but it's not so. The truth is, you've lost your compass. You've called your carelessness, carelessness love and made a virtue of irresponsibility. I, for God's sake, come. Elaine nearly snarled and yanked him out the door. You always get this idea that Elaine is like like just a lot bigger than they are. Yes. He's like a big boy. But he's also the timid one. He is. He really is the timid one. He's very nice and kind. But get that feeling like that if someone was going to kick someone's rear end, it's going to be Elaine. <laughs> if you ever pissed him off enough. Which they like... You can tell they immediately listen when he does get to that point. Like it's like he, a, he's very eh. timid. He's very just tone it down a bit. Just tone it. Like when Elaine like says something with meaning, they're like, "Okay, we'll calm down." Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Maybe that's actually a good idea. And there's my little lady in the window picture. Wouldn't it be like a long time yeah, ago? Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, Mister. Yours is like in the next chapter. Of course, we come back to the discussion of Roland being the gunslinger. Roland being the one they need to listen to because he's the gunslinger. Why do you always excuse him? Why? Out on the drop, he asked if I trusted him. I said I did, and I do. Then you're a fool. And he's a gunslinger. If he says we must wait longer, we must. 
He's a gunslinger by accident. A freak. A mutie. No, by bird. He, he, he's a gunslinger by bird. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Elaine stared at him in silent shock. Come with me, Elaine. It's time to end this mad game. We'll find Jonas and kill him. Our catet is broken. We'll make a new one, you and I. It's not broken if it doesn't break. It'll be your responsibility. And for that, I'll not... Your responsibility. Your, your responsibility. And for that, I'll never forgive you. Now it was Cuthbert's turn to be silent. Go for a ride, why don't you? A long one. Give yourself time to cool off. So much depends on our fellowship. Tell him that. No, I'm telling you. Jonas wrote a foul word about your mother. Don't you think that I go with you just to avenge that? If I don't think that Roland, if I didn't think Roland was right, that it's what Jonas wants for us to lose our wits and come charging blindly around our hillock. What a weird word. I used it before too, but <laughs> yeah. this is a weird word. That's right, but it's wrong too, Cuthbert said. Yet his hands were slowly unrolling, fists becoming fingers again. You don't see it, and I don't have the words to explain. If I say that Susan has poisoned the well of our quartet, you would call me jealous. Yet I think she has, all unknowing, unknow, unknowing and unmeaning. She's poisoned his mind, and the door to hell has opened. Roland feels the heat from that open door and thinks it's only his feelings for her. But we must do better, Al. We must think better, for him as well as for ourselves and our fathers. Are you calling her our enemy? No. It would be easier if she was. He took a deep breath. Let it out. Take another. He took a deep breath. Let it out. Took another. Let it out. Took a third. And let it out. With each one, he felt a little saner. A little more himself. Never mind. There's no more to say. Aunt, for now. Your advice is good. I think I will take a ride. A long one. To which we go into probably one of my favorite things he said, which is, Bert started towards his horse, then turned back. Tell him he's wrong. Tell him that even if he's right about waiting, he's right for the wrong reasons, and that makes him all the way wrong. He hesitated. Tell him what I said about the door to hell. Say that's my piece of the touch. Will you tell him? But I just love that. Like, tell him that even if he's right about waiting, he's right for the wrong reasons. We're along a lot of things, and we we fight. We'll get there in a second. Yeah. <laughs> and a minute. it says, "You stay away from Jonas, Bert." Cuthbert mounted up. I promise nothing. You're not a man. None of us are men. You better be wrong about that, Cuthbert said, because men's work is coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really is, and y'all better be ready. Yes, oh my god. So he decides to go out for a nice little horse ride and and meets an old friend. He rolled on out of town, the ocean now at his back, the sun full in his face, the shadow growing even longer behind him. He thought he'd soon veer off to the great road and ride across the drop to the barquet. But before he could, here came his old friend, Shimi. Leading a mule, Shimi's head was down, his shoulders slumped, his pink sombrero 
Ashkew. His boots dusty to Cuthbert, he looked as though he had walked all the way from the tip of the earth. Shimi, Cuthbert cried, already anticipating the boy's cheery grin and loony patter. Loony patter. Long days and pleasant nights. How are you? Shimi's Shimi lifted his head, and his brim of sombrero came up. Cuthbert fell silent. He saw the dreadful fear on the boy's face, the pale cheeks, the haunted eyes, the trembling mouth. Shimi could have been at the Delgado place two hours ago, if he'd wanted, but he had trudged along at a turtle's pace, the letter inside his shirt seeming to drag his every step. It was awful, so awful. He couldn't even think about it, because his thinker was mostly broken, so it was. Poor Shimi. I know. It's, 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 it's like the ring. It's just weighing him down. Hmm, but I don't think he has an obsession with it. That's it, the only it, difference, but yes. No, no. It's a great weight. What's wrong? Tell your old pal. He won't laugh, not a bit. At the sound of Arthur Heath's kind voice and the sight of his concerned face, Shimi began to weep. The Rhea's strict command that he should tell no one flew out of his head. Still sobbing, he recounted everything that had happened since the morning. Twice Cuthbert had asked him to slow down, and when Bert led the boy to a tree in those whose shade the two of them sat together, Shimi was finally able to do so. Cuthbert listened with growing unease. At the end of his tale, Shimi produced an envelope from inside his shirt. Cuthbert broke the seal and read what was inside, his eyes growing large. No, I'm sure they are. Mm. Yay! Mm -hmm. Good times, good times. Yes, now we switch back to Jonas. Yeah, we are with Jonas and DePape. Yes, Roy DePape. And we also get to meet an old friend. Oh, yeah. So DePape, as we know... Like, in the last chapter, it was just Clay and uh, Jonas. Because DePape had gone out to Latigo or to find Latigo yes. for news. So now DePape is obviously back, and he has news that there's a visitor in town. Hmm. Hmm. An outrider had finally shown up, DePape announced, and Jonas' spirit rose another notch. Only Roy didn't look as happy about it as Jonas would have expected. Not happy at all. A fellow's gone on to seafront, where I guess he's expected, uh, DePape said. He wants you right away. I wouldn't linger here to eat, not even a pupkin. We know that word, too. If I were you, I wouldn't take a drink, either. You'll want a clear head to deal with this one. Free with your advice today, ain't you, Roy? Jonas said. He spoke in heavily sarcastic tone, but when... Petty brought him a tot of whiskey. He sent it back and asked for water instead. Or had a bit of a look on him, Jonas decided. Two pale by half was good old Roy. And when Sheb sat down at the piano bench and struck a chord, the pape jerked in that direction. One hand dropped to the butt of his gun. Interesting and a little disquieting. Spill it, son. What's got your, hair, your back hair up? Roy shook his head slowly. Don't rightly know. What's this fellow's name? I didn't ask. He didn't say. He showed me Farson's sigil, though. You know, the paper lowered his voice a little. The eye. Which is still the eye. The eye of Sauron. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's all kind of little coincidences. 
I mean, there's a whole little expert in like, the beginning of one of the books talking about yeah. how he was talking about the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, so it's no. no surprise that there are some hints. Anyway, Jonas knew all right. He hated that wide, open, staring eye. Couldn't imagine what it possessed Farson to pick it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why not a mailed fist, cross swords, a bird, a falcon, for instance? A falcon would have made a fine sigil. But that eye. All right, he said, finishing the glass of water. It went down better than whiskey would have done anyway. Dry as a bone, he'd been. I'll find out at the rest for myself, shall I? As he reached the Batwing's door and pushed them open, the babe called his name. Jonas turned back. He looked like other people, the pape said. What do you mean? I don't hardly know, the pape looked embarrassed and bewildered. But... Dodged? Dogged. Dogged? Okay. But dogged, too. Uh, Sticking to his guns, we only talked five minutes in all, but once I looked at him and I thought it was an old bastard from Ritzy, the one I shot. A little bit later, I throw him a glance and think, Hellfire, it's my old pa standing there. Then, Then that went by, too, and he looked like himself again. And how's that? You'll see for yourself, I reckon. I don't know if you'll like it much, though. Jonas stood with one bat wing pushed open, thinking, Roy, twasn't Farson himself, was it? The good man in some sort of disguise? The pape hesitated, frowning, and then shook his head. No. Are you sure? We only saw him the once, remember? And not close to. Uh, not close to. Latigo had pointed him out. Sixteen months ago, it had been. Give or take. I'm sure. You remember how big he was? Jonas nodded. Farson was no Lord Perth, but he was six feet or more, and broad across both brace and basket. What a weird phrase, too. This man's clay's height, or less, and he says the same, and he stays the same height, no matter who he looks like. The pape insisted a moment, or hesitated a moment, and said, he laughs like a dead person. I could barely stand to hear him do it. What do you mean, like a dead person? Orderpape shook his head. Can't rightly say. Twenty minutes later, Elder Jones was writing. Yes, so he makes it to Thorin's mansion, house, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. And he goes inside, so... Oh, yeah. Come in, my friend, a voice not Rhymer's called. It was followed by a tittery laugh that made Jonas's flesh creep. He laughs like a dead person, Roy had said. Jonas pushed open the door and stepped in. Rhymer cared for incense no more than he cared for the hips and lips of women. But there was incense burning in here now. A woody smell that made Jonas think of a co- the court of Gilead. So there's a nod back to Jonas being a member of Gilead. Mm-hmm. So pretty much it describes the center or the scene... It says, Jonas stepped a little farther into the room, glancing into a gilt-framed mirror on the far side to check behind him without turning his head. No one there, either. Ahead and to the left was a table with places set for two and a cold supper in place, but no one in either chair. Yet someone had spoken to him, someone who had been directly on the other side of the door from the sound. Jonas drew his gun. Come now, said the voice which had bid him enter. It came from directly behind Jonas's left shoulder. No need for that. We're all friends here. All on the same side, you know. You know what? 
read this whole <laughs> section here. Just frustrates me to how the last book does things, certain things. Yes, it does. It really, really, really does. And we'll get to it eventually. There are going to be a lot of ups and downs in that last book. A lot of them. Some things I love and others I hate. Yes. Jonas whirled on his heels, suddenly feeling old and slow. Standing there was a man of medium height, powerfully built from the look of him, with bright blue eyes and the rosy cheeks of either good health or good wine. Um, Of course, he had little sharp pointed teeth. Surely such points couldn't be natural. He wore a black robe like the robe of a holy man with the hood pushed back. Mm-hmm. Jonas's first thought that the fellow was bald had been wrong. He saw the hair was simply cropped so st- stringently that it was nothing but fuzz. Put that bean shooter away, the man in black said. We're friends here, I tell you. Absolutely palsy-wowsy. We'll break bread and speak of many things, oxen and oil tankers, and whether or not Frank Sinatra really was a better crooner than Derbingle. Who? A better what? So many little things (laughs) here. Of course, this is the Man of Black. As we very clearly just stated, only because he was wearing black. But this is the Man in Black. No one you know, nothing that matters. The Man in Black tittered again. It was, Jonas thought, the start of sound one might expect to hear drifting through the barred windows of a lunatic asylum. He turned, looked into the mirror again. This time he saw the man in black standing there, smiling at him, big as life. Gods, had he been there all along? Yes, but you couldn't see him until he was ready to be seen. I don't know if he's a wizard, but he's a glamour man, all right. Mayhap even Farson's sorcerer. He turned back. The man in the priest's robe was still smiling. No pointed teeth now. But they had been pointed. Jonas would lay his watch and warrant on it. Where's Rhymer? I sent him away to work with young Cy Delgado on her reaping day catechisms. The man in black said he slung a chummy arm around Jonas's shoulders and began leading him toward the table. Best we palaver alone. It's the name of our damn show and I will still never get it. (laughs) The palaver word is so hard. Jonas didn't want to offend Farson's man, but he couldn't bear the touch of that arm. He couldn't say why, but it was unbearable. Pestilent. Pestilential. He shrugged it off and went to one of the chairs, trying not to shiver. No wonder DePape had come back from Hanging Rock, looking pale. No damned wonder. Instead of being offended, the man in black tittered again. Yes, Jonas thought, he does laugh like the dead. Very like, so he does. For one moment, Jonas thought it was Fardo, Court's father, in his room with him. That it was the man who had sent him west, so it was Court's dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And he reached for his gun again. Then it was just the man in black, smiling at him in an unpleasantly knowing way. Those blue eyes dancing like the flame from the gas jets. See something interesting, sighed Jonas. Aye, Jonas said, sitting down. Eats. He took a piece of bread and popped it into his mouth. The bread stuck to his dry tongue, but he chewed determinedly all the same. Good boy. The other also sat and poured wine, filling Jonas's glass first. Now, my friend, tell me everything you've done since the three three troublesome boys arrived, and everything you know, and everything you have planned. I would not have you lead out a single jot. First, show me your sigil. Of course. How prudent you are. Of course, throws the damn eye at him. (laughs) Says, satisfied? Jonas nodded. Slide it back to me. 
Jonas reached for it, but for once his normally steady hand resembled his reedy, unstable voice. He watched the fingers tremble for a moment, and then lowered the hand quickly to the table. I... I don't want to. No, he didn't want to. Suddenly he knew that if he touched it, the engraved silver eye would roll and look directly at him. The man in black tittered and made a come-along gesture with the fingers of his right hand. The silver buckle, that was what it looked like to Jonas, slid back to him and up the sleeve of his homespun robe. Abracadabra, bull, the end now. The man in black went on, sipping his wine delicately. If we have finished the tiresome formalities. One more. You know my name. I would know yours. Call me Walter, the man in black said, and the smile suddenly fell off his lips. Good old Walter, that's me. Now let us see where we are and where we're going. Let us, in short, palaver. I was really curious about that last word. I like it. She's going to say She's going to figure it out this time. I did it. We went over it a minute ago, but... I did it. And now... Jeez. We're getting there. We are getting there. We are getting there. I, I could have swore that was it. I could have swore that was it. Besides the major thing no, between I mean, the two. No, there's definitely there's, there's more things to be done, <laughs> for sure. Like what's coming up right now. Okay, here we go. Oh, that's right. There's there's two main things that happen. Yeah, there's there's more important things at the moment. We, there's definitely things. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, this is where it is. This is this is <laughs> Everything where. Everything just dies. Okay. Uh, when Cuthbert came back into the bunkhouse, night had fallen. Roland and Lane were playing cards. They had cleaned the place up so that it looked almost as it had, thanks to turpentine found in the closet of the old foreman's office. Even the slogans written on the walls were pink ghosts of their former selves. And now, were deeply in. Now they were deeply involved in a game of. Whatever the heck that is. Casa Fuerte. Or Hot Patch. Sure. As it was known in their parts of the world. Either way, it was basically a two-man version of Watch Me. Which I don't know what that is either. The card game which had Thanks. been played in the ballrooms of the bunkhouses around the... To me, um, when they describe Watch Me, it almost sounds like Solitaire. Because it's the game Jonas is always playing by himself. And it just sounds like Solitaire. Like Red on Black. Red on black. Roland looked up once, trying to read Bert's emotional weather outwardly. Uh, uh, Weathered. Emotional weather. Outwardly, Roland was as impassive as ever, and even played Elaine to draw across four difficult hands. But inwardly, he was in a turmoil of pain and indecision. Elaine had told him what Cuthbert had said, while the two of them stood talking in the yard. And they were terrible things to hear from a friend, even when they came at second hand. Yet what haunted him more is what Bert had said just before leaving. You've called your carelessness love and made it a virtue of irresponsibility. Was there even a chance he had done such a thing? Over and over he told himself, no, that the course he had ordered them to follow was hard but sensible, and the only course that made sense. Cuthbert's shouting was just a much angry wind brought on by nerves. Of course it was. Mm-hmm. And his fury at having their private place defiled so outrageously. Still, tell him he's right for the wrong reasons, and that makes him all the way wrong. That couldn't be. 
Could it? No, of course not. No. You are imagining things in your head. Your friend is totally jealous of your chick. Exactly. Sit. There's Sit. no way anything. Cuthbert was smiling. <laughs> and his color was high, <laughs> as if he had galloped most of the way back. He looked young, handsome, a virtual. Vital. A vital. And vital. <laughs> he looked happy, in fact, almost like the Cuthbert of old. The one who'd been... Capable of babbling happy nonsense to the rook's skull until someone told him to please, please, shut up. But Roland didn't trust that, what he saw. And he shouldn't. No, There was no, something no. wrong with that smile. The color on Birch's cheeks could also be, have been anger rather than good health. And the sparkle in his eyes looked like fever instead of humor. Oh, God. Oh, God. Roland showed nothing on his face, but his heart sank. He had hoped the storm would blow itself out, given a little time, but he didn't think it had. He shot a glance at Elaine, who saw that Elaine felt the same. Cuthbert, it will be over in three weeks, if only I could tell you that. The thought which returned was stunning in, in, in its simplicity. Why can't you? Yeah. Why can't you? I want to know your grand plan. I want to know what you thought was so going your way. Like, I'm confused here. He realized he didn't know. Why had he been holding back, keeping his own counsel? For what purpose? Had he been blind? Mm. Gods, had he? We kind of think so. Hello, Bert, he said. Did you have a nice... Yes! Very nice! A very nice ride. Instructive ride. Come outside. I want to show you something. Oh, oh Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. I'm sure you do. It's just, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, oh. things are getting great. Oh, they're getting fantastic. Roland liked the thin, yeah, liked the thin glaze of hilarity in Boyd's Boyd's, wow. Bert's eyes <laughs> less and less. But his lead... But he laid his cards in a neat face-down fan of the table and got up. Elaine pulled at his sleeve. No. His voice was low and panicky. Do you not see how he looks? I see, Roland said, and felt this felt dismay in his heart. For the first time, as he walked slowly towards the friend who no longer looked like a friend, it occurred to Roland that he had been making decisions in a state close akin to drunkenness or had he been making decisions at all he was no longer sure good job roland way to you're finally figuring things out huh mm, finally after bert's practically gone insane you figure things out uh, what is it that you want to show me bert something wonderful bert said and laughed mm. there was hate in the sound perhaps murder You'll want a good, close look at this. I know you will. Bert. What's wrong with you, Elaine asked. Wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with me, Al. I'm as happy as a dart in sunshine. A bee in a flower. A fish in the ocean. And as he turned away to look back through the door, he laughed again. Don't go out there, Elaine said. He's lost his wits. If our fellowship is broken, any chance we might have to getting it out, uh, uh, any chance we might have getting, if I can say this right, any chance we might have of getting out of mages alive is gone, Roland said. 
That being the case, I'd rather die at the hands of a friend than an enemy. He went out after a moment of hesitation. Elaine followed. On his face was a look of purest misery. Oh my god. Here we go. Oh yeah. What is it? Roland asked. They weren't wearing guns, any of them. That was to be grateful for, at yes. least. Yes. What would you show me? It's here. Cuthbert stopped at a point midway between the bunkhouse and the charred remains of the home place. He pointed with great assurance, mm-hmm. but Roland could see nothing out of the ordinary. He walked over to Cuthbert and looked down. I don't see brilliant light. Starshine times a thousand exploded in his head as Cuthbert's fist drove against the point of his chin. It was the first time, except in play and as very small boys, that Bert had ever struck him. Roland didn't lose consciousness, but he did lose control over his arms and legs. They were there, but seemingly in another country, flailing like the limbs of a rag doll, he went down on his back. Dust puffed around him. The stars seemed strangely in motion, running in arcs and leaving milky trails behind them. There was a high ringing in his ears. From a great distance, he heard Elaine scream, "'Oh, you fool! You stupid fool!' By making a tremendous effort, Roland was able to turn his head. He saw Elaine start toward him and saw Cuthbert no longer smiling, push him away. This is between us, Al. You stay out of it. You sucker punched him, you bastard. Elaine's slow to anger was now building toward rage. Cuthbert might well regret. I have to get up, Roland thought. I have to get between them before something even worse happens. His arms and legs began to swim weakly in the dust. Yes, that's how he's played us, Cuthbert said. I only return the favor, he looked down. That's what I wanted to show you, Roland. That particular piece of ground, that particular puff of dust in which you are now lying. Get a good taste of it. Mayhap it'll wake you up. Now Roland's own anger began to rise. He felt the coldness that was seeping into his thoughts, fought it, and realized he was losing. Jonas ceased to matter. The tankers at Sitgo ceased to matter. The supply conspiracy they had uncovered ceased to matter. Soon the affiliation and the quartet he had been at such pains to preserve would cease to matter as well. The surface numbness was leaving his feet and legs, and he pushed himself to a sitting position. He looked up calmly at Bert, his tinted hands on the ground, his face set. Starshine swam in his eyes. I love you, Cuthbert, but I'll have no more insubordination and jealous tantrums. If I paid you back for all, I reckon you'd finish in pieces, so I'm only going to pay you for hitting me when I didn't know it was coming. And I've no doubt you can, Cully, Cuthbert said, falling effortlessly into the Hambry Patois? I don't know that one. But first you may want to have a peek at this. Almost contemptuously, he tossed a folded sheet of paper. It hit Roland's chest and bounced into his lap. Roland picked it up, feeling the fine point of his developing rage lose its edge. What is it? Open and see. There's enough starlight to read it by. Read by. Slowly, with reluctant fingers, Roland unfolded the sheet of paper and read what was printed there. Pure, no more. He's had every hole of her, has Will Dearborn. How do you like, like it? it? He read it twice. The second time was actually harder because his hands began to tremble. He saw every place he and Susan had met. 
which is everywhere. Yeah. How clever he had believed they were being, how confident of their secrecy and their discretion, and yet someone had been watching all the time. Susan had been right. Someone had seen. I've put everything at risk, her life as well as our lives. Tell him what I said about the doorway to hell. And Susan's voice, too. Ka like a wind. If you love me, then love me. So he had done, believing in his youthful arrogance and everything would turn out all right for no other reason. Yes, at bottom, he had believed this, that then that he was he and Ka must serve his love. I've been a fool, he said. His voice trembled like his hands. Yes, indeed, Cuthbert said. So you have. He dropped to his knees in the spacing Roland. Now if you want to hit, hit me, hit away, hard as you want and as many as you can manage. I'll not hit back. I've done all I can to wake you up to your responsibilities. If you still sleep, so be it. Either way, I still love you. Bert put his hands on Roland's shoulders and briefly kissed his friend's cheek. Roland began to cry. They were partly tears of gratitude, but mostly those of mingled shame and confusion. There was even a small, dark part of him that hated Cuthbert and always would. That part hated Cuthbert more on account of the kiss than because the unexpected punch on the jaw, more for the forgiveness than the awakening. He got to his feet, still holding the letter in one dusty hand, the other ineffectually brushing his cheeks and leaving damp smears there. When he staggered and Cuthbert put out a hand to steady him, Roland pushed him so hard that Cuthbert himself would have fallen if Elaine hadn't caught hold of his shoulders. Then slowly, Roland went back down again, this time in front of Cuthbert with his hands up and his head down. Roland, no! Cuthbert cried. Yes, Roland said. I have forgotten the face of my father and I cry your pardon. Mm -hmm. Yes, all right, for God's sake, yes! Cuthbert now sounded as if he were crying himself. Just please get up. It breaks my heart to see you so. And mine to be so, Roland thought, to be humbled so. But I brought it on myself, didn't I? Mm -hmm. This dark yard with my head throbbing and my heart full of shame and fear. This is mine, bought and paid for. They helped him up and Roland let himself be helped. That's quite a left, Bert, he said in a voice that almost passed for normal. Only when it's going towards someone who doesn't know it's coming, Cuthbert replied. This letter, how did you come by it? Cuthbert told of meeting Shimi. <sighs> Jesus, Roland. Roland, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, you real, real messed up. Uh, so yes, he finds out it's from Rhea. It says, I can't say, or it says, yes, but how did she know? For she never leaves the coos, or so Susan has told me. I can't say, nor do I much care. What I'm most concerned about right now is making sure that Shimi isn't hurt because of what he told me and gave me. After that, I'm concerned that what old witch Rhea has tried to tell once, she doesn't try to tell again. I've made at least one terrible mistake, Roland said, but I don't count loving Susan as another. That was beyond me to change, as it was beyond her. Do you believe that? Yes, Elaine said at once, and after a moment, almost reluctantly, Cuthbert said, I, Roland. I've been arrogant and stupid. If this note had reached her aunt, she could have been sent into exile. And we to the devil by the way of hang ropes, Cuthbert added dryly. Although I know that's a minor matter to you by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. 
What about the witch? Elaine asked. What do we do about her? Roland smiled a little and turned towards the northwest. Rhea, he said, whatever else she is, she's a first-class troublemaker. Is she not? Yes, she is. And troublemakers must be put on notice. He stated, or started back towards the bunkhouse. Trudging with his head down, Cuthbert looked at Elaine and saw that Al was also a little teary-eyed. Bert put his hand, put out his hand. For a moment, Elaine looked like, looked at it. Then he nodded for himself rather than to Cuthbert. It seemed and shook it. You did what you did, Elaine said. I had no doubt. I had my doubts at first, but not now because everything's worked out. <laughs> Cuthbert let out a breath. And I did it the way I had to. If I hadn't surprised him, he would have beaten you black and blue. So many more colors than that, Cuthbert said. It would have looked like a rainbow. The wizard's rainbow, even. Elaine said, extra colors for your penny. That made Cuthbert laugh, and the two of them walked back towards the bunkhouse where Roland was unsaddling Bert's horse. Little interesting wizard's rainbow. Of course. Wizard's rainbow there. Mm-hmm. Um, nice notes. Um, and then, of course, the whole, are we going to kill her? We should. I we should, but are we going to? Not unless we have to, I reckon. Later, he would regret this decision, if it was a decision, bitterly. But there never came a time when he did not understand it. He had been a boy not much older than Jake Chambers during the Magus Fall, and the decision to kill does not come easily or naturally to most boys, not unless she makes us. Perhaps it would be best if she did, Cuthbert said. It was hard gunslinger talk, but he looked troubled as he said it. Yes, perhaps it would. It's not likely, though, not in one as sly as her. Be ready to get up early. All right, do you want your hand back? When you're on the verge of knocking him out? Not at all. The decision he would regret later. Way to foreshadow. I mean, King loves foreshadowing. Uh, so many bad decisions on Roland. So many bad decisions. God. Uh, so yes, in the morning, in the morning they head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. Yeah, the sun was just over the horizon when Roland and Cuthbert left the next morning. The drop still drenched the morning with morning dew seemed to burn with orange fire in the early light. So pretty much they didn't really talk most of the way. And then oh, they also yeah. were wearing their guns. Yes. They were wearing their guns. And once again he reassured Cuthbert that he was not sorry for loving. He was not sorry for loving Susan. And wearing their holster revolvers for the first time in their lives, they were going into the world as gunslingers. Um, but yeah, Roland's like not loving her, but thinking that love could somehow be apart from everything else. That I could live two lives, one with you and Al and our job here, one with her. I thought that love could lift me above Ka. The way a bird's wings can take it above all things that would kill it and eat it otherwise. Do you understand? It made you blind. Cuthbert spoke with a gentleness quite foreign to the young man who had suffered through the last two months. Yes, Roland said sadly. 
had made me blind, but now I see. Come on a little faster, if you please. I want to get this over. Hmm. So they make it to Rhea's house, and it's pretty much the same same scenery, same situation we get with Shimi. It just describes the outside of the house again, and her door being slightly ajar. Rolla had seen plenty of huts like it. The three of them had passed any number on their way here from Gilead, but never one that felt so uh, felt as powerfully wrong as this. He saw nothing untoward. untoward. Yeah, yeah, was Yet there was a feeling too strong to be denied of a presence, one that watched and waited. Cuthbert felt it too. Do we have to go closer, he swallowed? Do we have to go in? Because, Roland, the door is open. Do you see? He saw, as if she was expecting them, as if she was inviting them in, wanting them to sit down with her to some unspeakable breakfast. Hell and a breakfast, or hell the breakfast, whatever the heck they said. Hell to breakfast. Hell to breakfast. What a weird one. Uh, Stay here, Roland uh, gigged Rusher Ford. No, I'm coming. No. Cover my back. If I need to go inside, I'll call you to join me. But if I need to go inside, the old woman who lives here will breathe no more. As you said, that might be for the best. Cuthbert, do we have to get closer? Do we have to go in? You stay here. No, I'm going with you. (laughs) I won't let you do this alone. I won't let you. You seemed pretty nervous a minute ago there, Cuthbert. You seemed like Shimi over there. Uh, It says... um, It says, At every step, the whine of the thinny seemed louder, as if the atmosphere of this place somehow magnified it. Susan came up here alone, and in the dark, he thought... Gods, I'm not sure I could have come up here in the dark with my friends for company. Yeah, well... It's a creepy place. Evil witch. Yes, it says, No sign of the lady at the house, but she was there. Roland could feel her eyes crawling on him like loathsome bugs. I can't see her because she's used her art to make herself dim. But she's there. And just perhaps he did see her. The air had a strange shimmer just inside the door to the right, as if it had been heated. Roland had been told that you could see someone who was dim by turning your head and looking from the corner of your eye. He did that now. Roland, Cuthbert called from behind him. Fine so far, Bert. Barely paying attention to the words he was saying because, yes, the shimmer was clearer now and had almost the shape of a woman. It could be his imagination, of course, but... But at that moment, as if understanding he'd seen her, the shimmer moved farther back into the shadows. Roland glimpsed the swinging hem of an old black dress there and then gone. No matter, he had not come to see her, but only to give her a single warning, which one was one more than any of their fathers would have given her, no doubt. And Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. Should have killed her. Rhea, his voice called in a harsh tones of old, stern and commanding. Two yellow leaves fell from the tree as if shivered loose by that voice, and one fell in his black hair. From the hut came only a waiting, listening silence, and then the discordant jeering of Yallow of a cat. Rhea, daughter of none, I brought something back to you, woman, something you must have lost. From a shirt, he took the folded letter and tossed it to the stony ground. Today I've been your friend, Rhea. If this had gone where you had intended it to go, you would have paid with your life. 
He paused. Another leaf drifted down from the tree. This one landed in Rusher's mane. Hear me well, Rhea, daughter of Nun, and understand me well. I have come here under the name of Will Dearborn, but Dearborn is not my name, and it is the affiliation I serve. More, tis all which lies behind the affiliation, tis the power of the white. You have crossed the way of our Ka, and I warn you only this once. Do not cross it again. Do you understand? Only the waiting silence. Do not touch a single hair on the head of the boy who carried your bad-natured mischief. Hence, or you'll die. Speak not another word of those things you know or think you know to anyone. Not to Cordelia, those things you know or think you know. Not to Cordelia, Delgado. I was going to just go again. Repeat it again. Nor to Jonas, nor to Rhymer, nor to Thorin, or you'll die. Keep your peace and we'll keep ours. Break it and we'll still you. Do you understand? More silence. Dirty windows peering at him like eyes. A puff of breeze sent Morley showering down around him and caused the stuffy guy to creak nastily on his pole. Roland thought briefly of the cook, Hex, twisting at the end of his rope. Do you understand? No reply. Not even a shimmer could see through the open door now. Very well, Roland said. Silence gives consent. He gigged his horse around. As he did, his head came up a little, and he saw something green shift above him among the yellow leaves. There was a low hissing sound. Roland, look out! Snake! Cuthbert screamed, but before the second word had left his mouth, Roland had drawn one of his guns. He fell sideways in the saddle, holding with his left leg and heel as Rusher jigged and pranced. He fired three times, the thunder of the big guns smashing through the still air and then rolling back from the nearby hills. With each shot, the snake flipped upward again, its blood dotting red across the background of blue sky and yellow leaves. The last bullet tore off its head, and when the snake fell for good, it hit the ground in two pieces. From within the hut came a wail of grief and rage so awful that Roland's spine turned to a cord of ice. "'You bastard!' screamed a woman's voice from the shadows. "'Oh, you murdering cull! My friend! My friend!' "'If it was your friend, you ought not have set it on me,' Roland said. "'Remember, Rhea, daughter of none.' The voice uttered one more shriek and fell silent. Roland rode back to Cuthbert, holstering his gun. Bert's eyes were round and amazed. "'Roland, what shooting! Gods, what shooting! Let's get out of here.' But we still don't know how she knew. Do you think she'd tell? There was a small but minute shake in Roland's voice. The way the snake had come out of the tree like that, right at him, he could still barely believe he wasn't dead. Thank gods for his hand, which had taken matters over. We can make her talk, Cuthbert said, but Roland could tell from his voice that Bert had, Bert had no taste for such. Maybe later. Maybe after years of trail riding and gunslinging, but now he had no more stomach for torture than for killing outright. Even if we could, we couldn't make her tell the truth. Such as her lies as other folks breathe. If we've convinced her to keep quiet, we've done enough for today. Come on, I hate this place. You know what? Her sticking the snake on you to try to kill you should have been enough for you to go ahead and just... Yeah, been like... Okay, so we're at that level of friendship. We got this. All let's right. just <laughs> let's go back in the hut. Just take care of this. Apparently, you want to kill us, so let's just let's just <sighs> Roland. Roland, you should have just used that adrenaline you had going for the snake and just turned it towards the door. Yeah, you should have killed her. But yeah, so we'll regret it. 
As they rode back toward town, Rowan said, We've got to meet. The four of us, that's what you mean, isn't it? Yes. I want to tell everything I know and summarize. Or surmise. I want to tell you my plan, such as it is, what we've been waiting for. That would be very good indeed. Susan can help us. Roland seemed to be speaking to himself. Cuthbert was amused to see that the lone crown-like leaf was still caught in his hair. Susan was meant to help us. Why didn't I see that? Because love is blind, Cuthbert said. He snorted laughter and clapped Roland on his shoulder. Love is blind, old son. And then we finish up here with Rhea, being very, very upset that her snake is dead. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Very, okay. very upset. Tries to put put his head back to his body with a few spells, and nothing works because yeah. he, he, he's gone. He's yeah. dead. He's real dead. He's beyond the aid of her spells. Yes, she held, held his hand. One fluttering. Uh, Fattened old Doug and his body to the other, then with the last of his blood wetting the bodice of her dress, she looked in the direction of the hateful boys had gone. I'll pay ye back, she whispered, but by all the gods that ever were, I'll pay ye back. When ye least expect it, there Rhea will be, and your screams will break your throat. Do you hear me? Your screams will break your throats. She knelt a moment longer, then got up and shuffled back towards her hut, holding her mouth to her bosom. Ah! Should have killed her. Should have killed her. So next week is chapter five. Wizard's Rainbow. So we finally get to the long-awaited Wizard's Rainbow. It keeps coming up. And now we'll... we'll, Holy crap. There's mine. There we go. We'll be going closing the year. It'll be twenty-four pages. So less than about eight. Eight less than the last one. So a little smaller than the last one. So yeah, these are slightly longer episodes than the quick ones we were probably getting a little used to. But getting really used to. But uh, this is definitely the the huge parts of the book. Well, lots of things are still happening. As things kind of already have started happening. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? No. I think it's pretty simple. You know, beat each other up. Roland feels that finally figures out that he's stupid. Um, does stupid. some boyish stupid thing and decides to kill the loving precious pet of a woman and decides not to kill her. And then we'll have another 30-something page one. Oh. Well, a couple long ones back to back to back to back to longer back. longer ones back streets back oh. not in this book you <laughs> not in this no, book no Roland's back oh. <sighs> hopefully get out of your freaking pants well that's one way about it sure Closing the year, chapter six. I'm sorry. Get out of the car. There you go. Yeah, car. Get your mind out of car. And... Careless love. Good chapter. The beginning of the, the end. end. It really, really is. Oh. Alrighty. That was a lot of reading. It was a lot. It was a lot. As always, you can reach me at Stars on Travel. Reach a man at KZ Pup. Reach the show at Beyond Our Focus. Everywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around... 
The sea globe. Maybe. <sighs> in the well, crystal ball. In the crystal ball. Don't Any... shoot anybody, snake. Don't shoot anyone, period. Let's go. Okay, don't shoot anybody, period, but also don't shoot their animals. I can kill snakes. I'm not worried about those. Yeah. What? The lesson. The lesson we're learning right now. You don't shoot people, snake. No, you can shoot snakes. And if there happens to be a really evil witch, I give you permission to kill her. I don't think you'll find one, but so if you did. ask the snake first if it belongs to an evil witch. Exactly. Best thing to do. But, anyways, any final thoughts? I think this is long enough. I think so. Till next time! Long days and pleasant nights.